Hello, I'm Brian First, and you are listening to a new episode of Rural Roots, a show that asks what is rural in the 21st century. After a bit of a summer break, we are back on air. Right from the start, I said that we are going to bring you a variety of voices that have something to say about rural Canada. So far, we heard from a lot of researchers who study rural environments. In this episode, we are going to bring you a very different voice. My name is Michael Crummy, born and raised in Newfoundland, in mining towns here at, in, on the island and in Labrador. I've been a full-time writer for about the last 15 or 16 years. Arts, literature, music, all have an impact on how we see the world around us. It matters how writers think and write about rural. It matters what kind of rural we read about and see on our screens. Before I play the conversation Michael and I had in my office, just a small warning. There is occasionally a touch of mm, saltiness in the language, nothing you or I haven't said or heard before. Anyways, Michael Crummy and I began our conversation with a question that was central to an essay he wrote some time ago. The question you may get asked if you visit a small community. Where do you belong to? Well, I think the question is actually, who do you belong to? Which amounts to the same thing in Newfoundland. Uh, because people are so intimately tied to the physical place that they were born and raised in. So who you belong to and where you belong to are basically the same question. The geography is slightly different because the question is, um, who are you related to? And I think um, this is, of course, less and less true all the time. But for most of Newfoundland's history, uh, people carried a very intricate map in their heads of people's familial relationships and ties. Uh, and in small communities, of course, everybody was related in some way. So that question of who do you belong to um, is people's way of trying to place you. Even if you're from a different community in Newfoundland, if people have no idea who you are, they're looking for a way to connect you. It's sort of like uh, playing that six degrees of separation thing. And in Newfoundland, there aren't six, right? There are maybe three at the outside. So no, almost always when people ask that question, they can find a way to plug you into the map that they have in their head. And that makes them understand how you fit in their world. So that's why that question was so uh, common, I think. And it's becoming less and less common because that way of mapping the world is disappearing, I think. You know, like that's something that probably in the smaller communities is still happening but you know in the world that i live in in st john's that's that's not how people see the world anymore belonging for crummy was complicated because his own newfoundland rural childhood was different than the norm growing up fishing in an outboard community i grew up rural but in a kind of it was an odd experience in newfoundland because i grew up in a mining town with a very short history I long for mining towns, because uh, the mine started, I think, in 1920. So uh, by the time I was born in 65, there were already a couple of generations of people who had been born and raised in that town, which is not always the case in mining towns. 
But because it was a mining town, it meant people, the people who lived there had come from all over Newfoundland. Um, so they didn't belong to that place in the same way that people in other Newfoundland communities belonged in their, in their worlds. So there were adaptations that were made, you know, in, in the sense that uh, there were still the same uh, long extended sort of quasi-familial ties within the town, but uh, this, the blood relation wasn't the same. So I grew up uh, around people who I referred to as uncle and aunt, who were not related to me at all. They were just friends of the families. They were my parents' friends. But when their understanding of the world is that when people spent that much time together, when they were that close, that was family. Uh, and so as far as I was concerned, this, this was my large extended family within the town. So I, I, I've said recently, you know, that I feel like the outport made me who I am, even though Buckins was not an outport and was nowhere near a salt water. But everybody I knew there was either from an outport, my parents were both born and raised in outports, or were raised by people who were from outports. Um, so I feel like my experience of the world in that sense was very much similar to what people in the rest of rural Newfoundland experienced. I did have the sense growing up in Buckins that I was at one remove from what people think of as, and what I thought of as, real Newfoundland because I wasn't on the water and because my only experience of the f fishery, which is really was at the heart of everything that was Newfoundland for 300 years, 400 years, um, my experience of that world was just through stories that I heard from my parents or friends and family. And then we moved to Labrador West, so off the island altogether and inland. I mean, Newfoundland has a long tradition of connection to the coast of Labrador. Even though it's a separate world and a separate culture in many ways, they're, like my father grew up fishing on the Labrador coast, right? But inland, this was something that was just sort of created out of nothing. Like it was, they found iron ore and they created a town. And there were a lot of Newfoundlanders there, but there were a lot of people from Ontario, people from the United States, people from Labrador who saw themselves as Labradorians, separate from Newfoundland, um, culturally. So uh, that was like another step away from, from that world, you know? So it was sort of, uh, it complicated my relationship to the place in a way that at the time I found pretty confusing and now I feel like I'm really grateful to have had as an experience just because I think it's good to question our sense of ourselves and our sense of sort of nationhood as birthright and there are all sorts of things about that way of being in the world that I think deserve to be questioned you know, that it's healthy to question. So I feel like my sense of myself as a Newfoundlander now is stronger than it's ever been. But I came to it through a fairly complicated road. And I think that that was a good thing. I think that was really good to see how belonging is something that is created by people and not something that we're necessarily born with. You know, that there isn't a... That the sense that it takes three generations to become... A Newfoundlander or whatever bullshit people spout is bullshit. Michael Crum is careful to recognize that the changing nature of rural Newfoundland and rural Canada 
is the only constant fact. It has always been changing. My experience of living in rural was also my experience of living 40 years ago, 45 years ago. Um, and it's hard, it's very difficult to separate those strands. Like I'm watching my kids now grow up urban, which is clearly very different. But part of that difference is it's 2016, as our prime minister might say. And so their experience of the world is so completely different from mine, partly because it's a rural-urban split, but uh, even more so, I think, because the world has changed so much in that time. So growing up rural today, I think, would be unrecognizable to me in many ways as well. And that was one of the things I was trying to get at in Sweetland, you know, was this sense that rural Newfoundland now, even the most isolated parts of Newfoundland, is this weird mix of these old ways that haven't changed just because the modern world hasn't arrived en masse in the same way that it has, say, in St. John's. Um, but also uh, uh, completely modern in many ways because so much of the modern world has washed up on the beaches. And people have been quite happy to incorporate those things into their lives, right? I think it's Dale Jarvis who's, who said that... Uh, Newfoundlanders have always been modernist. And that what it's never been a sense of like, well, we're this, we don't do things that way. And, you know, that's not how we live. And it's always been if something shows up, you know, like if it's country music on the U.S. radio stations when the bases were put in, people liked it. And they're like, like my dad made no distinction between Newfoundland music, like accordions and fiddles and traditional music and country and Western to him, that was Newfoundland music because it's what he grew up hearing. So I think that rural Newfoundland today is that weird mix of uh, stuff that hasn't changed in 300 years, that is still uh, a part of people's everyday lives. And Pokemon Go, right? That that stuff, um, and that the kids who are growing up with that make no distinction between those things. They don't say, oh, these are the old ways, you know, and this is the modern new stuff. It's just their life. But they, in a way that's completely different, I'm sure, from what my kids are experiencing, they still have access to things that has that my kids wouldn't even recognize because they're growing up urban. Um, and I think that uh, growing up rural for me I mean, my wife was born in, well, actually, she was born in Montreal, which is a bit of a sore point to bring up with her. Um, but she was raised in Newfoundland. Like, her, her parent, her father's from Newfoundland, and um, she was very young when she moved back. But she was raised in St. She's a townie. And uh, so in some ways, her experience of the world was clearly very different from mine. But culturally, we're exactly the same, you know, like that. Um, whereas I'm not sure that that's true anymore in the urban-rural split, that culturally the kids who are growing up in St. John's would be exactly the same as kids growing up on the South Coast or on the Northern Peninsula. And I think it is partly because, and man, I'm just making this up as I'm t thinking about it now, uh, so I have no idea, this is not something I've sat down and thought about a lot, but just thinking about it as I'm talking, 
it does seem to me that St. John's and Northeast Avalon is becoming more and more something culturally completely different from rural Newfoundland. You know, I mean, we just had what some guy abducted out of his house by three men in masks and murdered and left on a driveway, right? Like that is something that, uh, that seems in and out, in some ways completely outside our experience of the world here in Newfoundland. But I mean, in the last 15 years in St. John's, nobody is going around saying that's completely out of left field. People are like, oh, we're changing. This is a different place than it was 15 years ago. I think I should say too, I think that there's always been a divide. I think that is true. I mean, I, and I think that uh, that, that Towny Bayman split was, has always been a real thing. And that I think uh, people from rural areas have always thought that people from town considered themselves better in some ways. And that people in town considered people from rural communities a little bit backwards. And so I think that that split has always been there. But I remember doing a, a talk at the rooms. Uh, I can't remember what it was about Newfoundland culture in some ways. And I, I said at the talk, I said that, you know, what we think of as Newfoundland culture is something that was born and lives in the outports. And there was a guy who, like, at, during the question period, was very upset with me because he was born and raised in St. John's, but he was born and raised in a particular part of St. John's on the fringes of the city. And as far as he was concerned, that was his experience of the world was typical Newfoundland. Like his parents were involved in the fishery and the, and. And I think he was absolutely right. I think that in those days, even though St. John's, there was a sense of it as like the capital city and somehow more refined, but it was a series of tiny communities that were onto themselves exactly like outports in terms of the relations that people had within those communities and that sort of thing. That's what's changed, I think, is that there isn't those tiny self-contained little communities where people's relationships to one another were the same as these small outports that's gone and what we have now is a series of suburbs where you might know your neighbors right but you might not and uh i think st john's is still incredibly open and welcoming in ways that I think a lot of other cities in Canada aren't. And that's a result, that's a, a direct expression of the culture of Newfoundland. But the communities are different. I'm really interested in this whole notion of, uh, it's something that uh, Malcolm Gladwell talked about in a book called Outliers. There's a lot of talk in there about cultural traits and about how we're shaped by the culture we come out of. And how cultures continue to hold to the values created by social conditions for generations after the social conditions that created those values disappear. And he was talking about, for example, uh, notions of honor and masculinity in um, 
you know, the places where the Hatfields and McCoys came from, where there were these blood feuds that went on for generations. And he said, you know, those, those social conditions have disappeared and have been gone for a long time. But people's sense of what a, of honor and masculinity are still shaped by those same social conditions. And I, it's a really persuasive argument. And he said, you know, those social conditions have disappeared, but the values in those families and in those individuals are the same and will be for generations to come. So what I think what we're seeing in Newfoundland now is a situation where a lot of the social conditions that created what we think of as Newfoundland culture have disappeared or have changed so drastically that they're almost recognizable compared to what it was even when I was born. So it'll be really interesting to see what parts of the culture and what values we think of as like typical Newfoundland values, which of those actually sur survive the disappearance of the social conditions, you know? So St. John's, I think what we see in St. John's is in almost every way, like a, a modern urban city, much like, I don't know, Moncton or Halifax or Calgary. But we still have a situation where someone will run out of the house when they see strangers going by with a little girl because they have a, they want a big stuffed toy and they're just waiting for some little girl to come by that they could give it to, you know, or, you know, my wife, this was a couple of years ago, but she was driving up around the university and she saw a woman like sort of frantically trying to flag down a taxi. So she, she had some time. So she stopped and picked the woman up and said, well, you know, can I drop you somewhere? And that's not something that happens a lot of other places. Um, and that's a direct expression of outport Newfoundland's if there's a stranger in the community, then you take your kids out of their bed and give that bed to the stranger and take them in and make sure that they have food. And uh, while they're staying in that community, the person is looked after. I used to worry about Newfoundland culture. I used to think, oh, you know, it's going to disappear. It's dying. Uh, and it's not, it's, it's, as it has always been, I think, it's in a state of constant uh, evolution. And now I'm just interested. Like, I'm really interested to see how all of these things will play out. And I'm interested to see in which ways those sort of cultural values uh, adapt to this new world that we're, we're living in. In this episode of Rural Roots, we bring you the voice of Michael Crummy, a Newfoundland and Labrador writer. The reason I wanted to talk to Michael in the first place was his recent novel called Sweetland. It was a fascinating book in many ways, but I was especially intrigued by Michael's ability to resist the mythical, pure, idyllic depiction of rural life and give us something much more complex. I asked him how deliberate that was. Well, I mean, it wasn't a conscious decision. It was just that was what I was seeing. That book wouldn't have, have existed without my involvement with a, an outfit called Adventure Canada, which does these small ship adventure type cruises to, uh, I mean, they do 
Northwest Passage trips and Greenland and Labrador trips, and they do some stuff in the Southern Hemisphere as well. But uh, for about 25 years, they've been doing circumnavigations in Newfoundland. And uh, I've done six or seven trips with them as sort of a cultural list, I guess is the official title. And I, I agreed to, to do my first trip with them because I'd never seen the South Coast, you know, and I, I didn't know if I would ever get another chance. Um, and on each trip, the South Coast is really one of the highlights because uh, we're going into Francois and to uh, Ramia um, and a couple of other, stopping in a couple of other places on the South Coast. Um, and these, to me, these feel like uh, outports as they, as close to as they were 50 years ago as you can get, just because they are so isolated. But of course, uh, it was unav unavoidable seeing how the modern world was sort of uh, gaining a, a real foothold there, you know, like uh, in Ramia, there's a woman, I think her name is Joy. She comes down to meet the ship every every time we come in as the town's mascot, which is a puffin. And so she's in the puffin costume, you know. And uh, and then once all the passengers go up off the dock, she'll take the head off and, and chat with you. And um, and I remember talking to Joy, and she, was, uh, she has an online poker game once a week, and it's, she plays with people all over the world, you know. So she has a regular table. And she was telling me that her son was in a, like she had been in a relationship with a woman from, I think, North Carolina for three years. And they'd never met. It was all over the internet. And so when I was sitting down to write Sweetland, in many ways I was trying to capture my sense of what those communities were like on the South Coast. And I knew that I had to include those things. I mean, that was just such an intimate part of their world and bizarrely made, I mean, these are probably some of the most isolated communities in the Western Hemisphere. But in this one bizarre way, they're completely plugged in, right? They're the, there's nothing that's not available to them on the internet. And so I was really wanting to give a sense of how strange that is. I found that so strange. But also very familiar in a way, right? Because I grew up in, in rural Newfoundland at a time when television was first, you know, was my, my mother called it that bloody box in the corner because we spent so much time watching this thing. So, of course, I grew up in rural Newfoundland uh, and incredibly isolated. Um, but in most of my cultural touchstones were... American, and if not American, then mainland Canadian. So at a, I'm sure at the time, people could have looked at that and said, oh, that's the death of Newfoundland culture right there. But of course, to me, that was just Newfoundland. You know, that was just what it was. And I feel like that's just as true now, that these rural communities are just, this is what's washing up on the beach. It's something we can use it for, so let's let's go let's you know and it just becomes it just gets folded into the community in a way that feels completely 
Newfoundland, you know. So when I started writing that book, I knew that that sort of uh, bizarre uh, tapestry of things was what I wanted to try and present, was this sense of these old ways of existing in this place that have been inherited for, for generations. Uh, and these completely brand new, newfangled things that are just taken as the world, you know? I mean, one of the things that Moses does on the internet uh, is looks at old clips of wrestling matches that he would have seen 30 years before, 40 years before. So I think he's revisiting his childhood, which is these American fake wrestlers. But that's his life in that place, right? That's his, that's his experience of the world just as much as going out to the, to the, the fishing grounds, you know, rowing out with his brother and before school in the morning. So uh, I, I just wanted to give what to me feels like a true portrait of how those, how, how we live here now, you know? And uh, and pretending that there was some sort of mythic uh, golden period when Newfoundland was pure and true, um, to me seems like total bullshit now. Although I think I grew up with that and my relationship to Newfoundland was complicated by the fact that I felt I was outside that and could only see it from a distance. And now, of course, I think I, my sense of it is that... Uh, Newfoundlanders have always been modernists and that Newfoundland culture has always been in flux and that uh, the fact that my father grew up listening to country music doesn't make him less of a Newfoundlander, it makes him a Newfoundlander, you know, and the fact that I grew up watching Get Smart on television doesn't make me less of a Newfoundlander, it makes me a Newfoundlander, uh, a typical Newfoundlander. Given how natural his own descriptions of the rural in Sweetland felt, I asked Michael, why is there such a discrepancy between the rural we see depicted in majority of popular TV shows and novels and the lived rural lives? Why the divide? Partly I think that that's like a natural human nostalgia for our own past, and then, uh, you know, extended beyond that, this natural human nostalgia for for the paradise lost, right? For this sense that there was a time when everything was great. And when we look at our childhoods, unless we've suffered real trauma, we generally think of it as a, a golden age. And I, I mean, you see that in politics, right? When you look at the US election right now, like when people are talking about, let's make America great again. And I'm thinking, when was that exactly? Like. It's total bullshit. I mean, Trudeau did it. He talked about how great Canada was when he was growing up. And of course, total bullshit. Like when, when he was growing up, people were talking about how great Canada was when they were growing up and how it has all gone to shit. So I think that partly that's a natural human um, sense that the world as it is right now is not right, right? That we're living in the middle of troubled times. And it's completely natural to look back at a time when the trouble sort of has disappeared. It's been sort of uh, 
whitewashed or scrubbed out of our memories. Um, you know, like the 70s were... Uh, Vietnam and uh, like the, the gas shortages and inflation through the roof and nobody thinks of the, those things when they think of the 70s like nobody my age right like those things have just sort of disappeared and so it makes it possible for a politician to say I'm going to take us back to when times weren't good even though those times never existed so I think that when people are writing about rural Newfoundland, and uh, I mean, especially in like uh, in folklorish sort of contemporary songs about rural Newfoundland, I mean, they're not describing the real world in any way, shape, or form. They're describing their own experience of what it was like to be a child in the world. I think you know when. Uh, when the complications of life were different than our, our own adult concerns, which seem like way bigger deals. And I think it does do a disservice to uh, just how complicated those people's lives were and how difficult those lives were. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do think that there is a disconnect, but I think that disconnect is completely natural. I think that it's something that uh, in some ways is unavoidable if you don't make a conscious effort to say, I'm not going to allow myself to do what comes naturally here. And I'm going to force myself to try and see past my own nostalgia. For the end of my conversation with Michael Crummy, I asked him how did he see rural Newfoundland today? My sense of it is that, that the rural in Newfoundland is in a state of real crisis and that barring some sort of miracle recovery by the cod and even if we see that i think that there are huge swaths of rural newfoundland that are probably going to disappear and that's heartbreaking but also in some ways i think kind of inevitable i mean i i just wrote a piece for a canadian geographic on this whole issue of resettlement the, like what's happening now. And uh, I was doing a little bit of research for that. And I was kind of shocked to discover, and stupidly shocked, because of course, this is not news, but really surprised to see how uh, common it was for communities to disappear throughout Newfoundland's history. For people to just to say, this is, there's, we're done here. And to just pull up stakes and everybody and we're talking tiny communities, you know, sometimes 15 people or 30 people. But the sense that uh, that every, you know, that every community is sacred and has to be uh, saved regardless of the cost, I think is romanticism. And that some communities, I think as long as it's the community that's making the decision, then that's a, in some ways a completely healthy response to the world that they're living in. Heartbreaking and something that uh, I think in a perfect world, in paradise, would never happen. But I don't see any way around that in Newfoundland right now. I mean, in a lot of these communities, even if the cod, even if tomorrow they said the cod are back and anybody can put a boat in the water and go fishing, 
in a lot of these communities, there's no one left to go fishing, right? All of the young people have moved elsewhere. There's a generation now that's grown up not fishing. So a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people probably would not want to go out on the water. What I hope is, like my hope for rural Newfoundland is that uh, the communities that have a way of being living communities, sustainable economically and culturally, that they get the support that they need from the levels of government that can offer it, that we recognize that those communities are still at the heart of what we are. But really, I don't know. I, You know, it's kind of, again, I'm just kind of making this up as I'm talking here because because things are so uncertain for rural Newfoundland and uh, and things are changing so rapidly for those communities that I really, I don't know. Like we have a place in Western Bay, which is where my father was born and raised. And um, it's, a, I mean, it's it's a living community still. But most of the people there who work, work elsewhere. You know, like there are a couple of people I know who are working offshore. Some people actually commute into larger towns or all the way into St. John's. And a lot of the houses are seasonal now, like the hours, you know. I really hope that there's a way for a community like that to be sustainable in the long term. Um, and for, but there aren't a lot of young families there. It's a different rural, yeah. Um, I mean, my mother had her had an uncle, my great uncle, from Twillingate, which is where my mom was born and raised. And he and his wife, he lived to be almost ninety, uh, but he and his wife uh, lived on this road that sort of. He had he was born in the house that he lived in. And that road was sort of like right on the water. So there was this, it was, you know, central to the community. But about 50 years ago, they built this big sort of warehouse thing right in front of the house. Uh, eventually, most people moved out of that area. So sort of like a little house on its own. And at his wife, after his wife died, he he remarried, right? About two or three years after she died. They had been married for 55 years, something like that. But he was he was lonely and also he fell in love, right? It was and so he left this house that he had lived in for all of his 85 years and moved in with his new wife. And his new wife lived in a different part of town. She had uh, adult children living in houses on both sides of her, and they all had children. Um, so he had moved from this house where uh, he was cut off from the world. He, he had, both of his kids were living on the mainland. He didn't see many people during the day. And he moved into this house where there were kids coming in and out of the house all the time, where people came in for meals. And he said it was the happiest he'd been in years, if not decades. And it was because he was surrounded by life again. 
He was part of a living, an extended living family, which is what these communities have had always been. And I think which is part of the reason why people were so happy and contented for the most part in these communities. May also be why people are so nostalgic about it, right? Because that sense of living in an extended living family is something that people uh, often feel like they lose when they move to either the mainland or to a rural, uh, an urban area like St. John's. But I feel like in a lot of these rural communities, what you're seeing more and more are people like my uncle, my great uncle, living in this house, cut off from life. You know, even if they have friends, they're people the same age whose families have all moved away. No one's having children. They're sort of like watching each other die instead of feeling like they're part of this continuum. I mean, in rural Newfoundland, in, Ur in Outport, Newfoundland, most houses used to have at least three generations under the same roof. And I think there was some real comfort in feeling like you were part of this ongoing thing, that you came from a long line and that there was a long line behind you. And uh, I think the crisis in rural Newfoundland is partly the sense that that line is being chopped off, you know. And in the communities where people are asking for relocation, it's often that sense that there are no young people here anymore. We, we're getting to the point where we need to be taken care of. There's no one here to take care of us. Um, so we need to move somewhere where at least we have access to health care, you know, where we have access to those kinds of services. And I think in some ways that's the real tragedy of the rural experience now. That sense of a fairly ancient way of life that you can, you can see your family's history all the way back through that. Right? You can name the names all the way back and there's nothing in front. Right, that there's that people see themselves as the end of something, and that's yeah, I find that incredibly uh, heartbreaking. My name is Brian Fierst and you just listened to Rural Roots and my conversation with Newfoundland author Michael Crummy. We talked about the ways we write about contemporary rural and the challenges facing rural Newfoundland. Rural Roots is produced in collaboration between the Leslie Harris Centre of Regional Policy and Development at Memorial University of Newfoundland, Canadian Rural Revitalization Foundation and Rural Policy Learning Commons Partnership bringing together rural scholars and policymakers in Canada and abroad. The show is supported through a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada grant. North Star is the song you can hear at the beginning and the end of this show. The song was composed by Laura Bates and performed by Trent Sever. If you listened to Rural Roots on your campus or community radio, please let us know if you liked the show. If you listened to the podcast version of the show, feel free to encourage your local radio station to get in touch if they are interested in broadcasting the program. 
The show is available to community and campus radio stations free of charge through the National Campus and Community Radio Association Program Exchange. Thanks for listening and I hope you join us next time. To subscribe to the podcast, visit ruralrootspodcasts.com. That's all one word, rural, R-O-U-T-E-S, podcasts.com. I am Brian Fierst, and you just listened to Rural Roots. Stay in touch.